for his mercy. And if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter number 9. If you're able this morning to stand out of respect for the Word of God, and we're going to continue our series this morning. And if you're visiting, there's a copy of the outline in the bulletin this morning. You can follow along that way. And, of course, we'll be in chapter number 9 of the book of Acts. And uh, if you are visiting, I want to remind not only you, but some of our folks that have been coming that our theme for the year is magnify everything we do with our lives this year and every day of our lives. We want to magnify the Lord. And every month, I want to highlight something different that we want to magnify. Last month, month of January, we magnified the Savior. This month, we're magnifying service. And we'll take another look at something this morning from the scriptures here in Acts chapter number eight. And so as we think about this matter of serving the Lord. It's so important that we understand this matter of serving God with our lives. And I want you to look with me this morning in Acts chapter number 9. And the Bible says, as we think about this matter of serving the Lord, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now let me stop here for a second and just uh, share something with you that when you study the Bible, Understand there are times where you will see a person's name and it's not always the same individual. For instance, the name here, Ananias, there are three individuals in the book of Acts by the name of Ananias. The first one you come into contact with is in Acts chapter number five, where uh, in chapter four, the disciples, there was a need. And so those that had possessions, they sold them. And they gave the proceeds to the disciples who made distribution to those that had the needs. And, and so we see that there, is, there was a couple, the man's name was Ananias, his wife's name was Sapphira, and they wanted to get in on this. Now the problem is, is that uh, they, the Bible records in Acts 5 that they lied about what they had done, and their lie was to the Holy Spirit, their lie was to God. And so that Ananias, he lied and then he died. So that's a good lesson this morning. Don't lie. All right. Uh, second Ananias that we find in the Bible is in Acts chapters 23 and 24. And that is Ananias, the high priest. And of course, Ananias, the high priest, was a man. He was an evil man. Uh, when it came time for Paul to stand trial, Ananias was a man that, that stood against Paul, that was a, was a man that wasn't friendly to the Apostle Paul, and that was, that was the uh, second Ananias. Now, the one that we're going to look at today falls between those two, and the Bible says in Acts chapter number 9, there was a certain, look at it, disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, as we read on, it says that to him, to this Ananias, said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. 
The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, and he entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Now this Ananias, I've entitled this message this morning, The Reluctant Servant, or The Reluctance to Serve. Sometimes what happens is, is people get saved and they never really understand that there's joy in serving Jesus. They never get involved in the work of God. And I'm, I'm praying that if that is you today, that God would get a hold of your heart and you would realize from Ananias's life and testimony that you would get involved in serving God. There are some who are saved and have been serving the Lord, and maybe God would speak to your heart from the life of Ananias, and maybe God would challenge you today to serve the Lord in a greater way than you are currently serving the Lord. You see, God's work, there is a great work to be done, and we need more to be involved in serving the Lord. But like Ananias, there are some that are reluctant to serve. When I think about those that are reluctant, that means that there are some who are hesitant. And it may be that somewhere in the past, and I run into a lot of Christians that are like this, they used to serve the Lord. They used to sing in the choir. They used to work in the nursery. They used to work with children at the church. And they used to be an usher. And maybe something happened. Maybe it was something like, uh, maybe, maybe it was a health situation that came into your life. Maybe God moved you from one physical location to another. Maybe it was that somehow along the way, someone hurt you or you got hurt. And because of that, you never re-engaged or you're afraid to engage in serving the Lord because you don't want to be hurt again. Whatever it is this morning, God saved us to serve him. Let's not be hesitant. Let's not be reluctant to serve. Let's serve him the way God has intended us to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. I pray that you'd help me during this hour, Lord, that you would speak to hearts. And God, that most of all, your will would be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> and as you are having a seat there or you're at home, let me just back up a little bit for sake of time. I won't take too long, but I wanted to remind you of what was going on prior to our passage this morning. Now remember, Jesus left heaven. He came to this earth. He lived among men. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. Jesus, not because of anything he did, but Jesus went to the cross, he gave his life, 
He was crucified, buried, and rose again. Today we serve a risen Savior. The Lord went back to be with his Father. Today he's seated at the right hand of God. But while he was here, he did an amazing thing, and that is he established what is known as the church. We are a part of the church, the work that God began. It's great to be a part of, listen, not man's work, but God's work. And as we continue to do God's work here in this place, we understand that God's work is always going to be met with resistance. There's always going to be those that oppose the work of God. Uh, that is true today. You know, I mean, it's the devil does not like when we come to church. The devil does not like when we put God first in our lives, but yet the Bible tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And we are doing the right thing this morning. Those that are listening by way of live stream, we are putting God where he belongs, and that is first place in our lives. But there's always going to be those that oppose the work of God. And when you look in the book of Acts, prior to chapter number 9, great things were happening. At that particular time, there was just one young church, and that church was located in Jerusalem. According to the Bible, if you were to back up, there were thousands of people that were being saved by God. God was blessing in a wonderful way. That's the bright side of the thing. If you look on the other side, and if we wanted to call it the dark side, there was a man by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who was devastating the work of God, the church. I want you to look at this map just to give you a visualization this morning that Saul was a man that was in Jerusalem, and if you look at the map, at the bottom of the map, you see the city of Jerusalem. This was maybe or probably the route that Saul would have traveled going from Jerusalem, which is down in the bottom, all the way up to the city known as Damascus. Now notice, it's a rather lengthy journey. It's one that was probably hard at times. I will tell you that Saul was not going to Damascus for vacation. Saul was not going there because he didn't have anything else to do. Many believe that it was about 135 to 160 miles to go from Jerusalem to Damascus. Most of the time when they traveled, they traveled on foot. Uh, many believe that it was quite a few days travel, hard travel, if you were just trying to make quick time to get there. And understand that the whole reason that Saul was going to Damascus was because everywhere he went, he was looking for believers in Christ. He was looking for Christians, people like you and I, that love God, that know God, that just want to live for God. So he was going there, going out of his way. He was going there with authority to see if he could find other believers, pull them out of their homes, persecute them, and even put some of them to death. Pretty amazing the, the hatred that this man had for Christians. The Bible tells us in there in your notes, or you can look on the screens, if you look at chapter number 8, notice a couple verses here. The Bible says Saul was consenting unto his death. Now, if you were to back up at the end of chapter 7, one of the great servants of God, his name was Stephen. He was a deacon in the early church. 
The Bible says not because of anything he did wrong, it was because of his faith. He was persecuted, he was stoned to death. And the Bible says that when that happened, there was a young man by the name of Saul that was holding the coats of those that stoned Stephen. And as we look in chapter 8 and verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, the Bible says there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Now, let me stop here and say this. Remember, the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. See, this church is Bible Baptist Church. We meet at a physical location, 7 Southwest, 129th Avenue in Pembroke Pines, Florida. But understand that if this building was not here, the church would still be here. You are the church. I'm looking at the church today. So when the Bible says there was great persecution against the church, it wasn't that the building was under attack, it was the people of God that were under attack. We need to always remember that as we study the Word of God. Now let's read on. The church in Jerusalem was what was being attacked. And look at, and they, the church, the believers, were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the early leaders of the church, they stayed behind in Jerusalem watch this who went forth then the christians the bible believing christians they were the ones that left and they went to the regions of judea and samaria now look at verse number two it brings us back to chapter seven devout men carried stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him this this man was well beloved just like we've we've said had to say goodbye for a short time to some of our loved ones here that listen, one day we're going to be with them again, with the Lord, but certainly we miss them. And the Bible says there was great lamentation made over this man by the name of Stephen. Now look at verse number three. As for Saul, the Bible says he made havoc out of the church, entering into, notice, every house, and hailing men and women, didn't matter who it was, young and old, men or women, and he committed them to prison. So the Bible tells us here that there was a dark time for the church, that this man by the name of Saul of Tarsus was traveling and he was persecuting Christians. What's amazing is in the middle of all this persecution, God does something amazing. God reaches down and saves the man that is the ringleader, the one that is leading this persecution of Christians, this man that we read about by the name of Saul. I mean, here's a picture of him where he met the Lord, watch this, on the road to Damascus. He never even got there before he met the Lord. The Lord met him on the road. And the Bible tells us that as he was traveling there, that God saved him, and, and his conversion, I really believe, is nothing short of a miracle. How God saved him, the Bible records that Saul saw the brightness of the Lord. He fell to the ground, and he was left blind. Here's this, this man, this strong man that hath authority, that it was in charge, that was leading his life, 
Now he is humbly being led as a blind man the rest of the way, taken into the city of Damascus. And while he was there, the Bible records that he was in that condition for three days. If you have your Bible, look at chapter 9 of Acts, look at verse number 9. Because sometimes we think, well, I wonder what he was doing for those three days that he was blind. Well, the Bible says he was there three days without sight, and he neither did eat nor drink. Something was going on. I mean, even if I didn't have my eyesight, I'd still be hungry. I'd still be thirsty. When you see terminology like that in the Bible, sometimes it indicates that maybe Saul was praying and fasting, trying to figure out what happened. What did I see? What, what was I a part of as I was traveling to Damascus? Now, I do know this, that God did not save Saul to leave him in that condition. He didn't save him to, that he would be a permanent blind man. God saved him for a greater purpose. And what we need to see this morning is that that purpose that God had for Saul included the man by the name of Ananias. Now, Ananias, his name, I love this. I love to study what names mean. But Ananias means Yahweh has been gracious. Around here at our church, we say often, God is good all the time. And just the very name, Ananias. Yahweh has been gracious. The Bible tells us here that God was going to send this man to this man by the name of Saul. And we don't know a lot about Ananias. You see this picture here. It's just a reenactment of maybe Ananias coming to Saul while he did not have his sight. There's very little said about him. I spent some time looking through the scriptures, and one thing we do know is he lived in Damascus, and we don't know for sure. There's no indication that he had a special education or some kind of special training, and we don't know if he was a young man or an old man, what he did for a living. We don't know any of that. We, we, we don't know if he was a man of great or little stat standing in the community. I mean, was he prominent or was he, was he just kind of a behind-the-scenes kind of a person? The only thing that I think we really can surmise from Ananias' life is that he is one of the great unsung heroes of the faith. God was going to use this man, whether he was great or not, to do something to help this man that God had chosen. And you might be sitting here or watching us this morning thinking to yourself, well, that's great for Ananias, but who am I? Can I tell you this morning that if you make yourself available to God, God can use you the way God used Ananias. And I want you to see with me this morning how this man was a man that I believe can teach us much about the service of the Lord. Oh, he had his moments, just like many of us do. He was reluctant to serve. There was some hesitation. Some of it may be justifiable, maybe not. Notice, first of all, that he was a separated servant. Now, remember, he was serving the Lord. And the Bible records, look in verse number 10 of chapter 9. 
There was a certain, notice the word, disciple at Damascus. Now, he was separated in how he was living. Because the word disciple means a pupil, a learner. Folks, look, until the Lord comes back, we are constantly learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very word is sanctification. See, we who are saved, we are justified. We were justified at the moment of our salvation. But once we've been justified, we are being sanctified. We are learners. Even as a pastor, every week, God teaches me. God shows me something. Look, I don't ever want to get to the place in my life where I am unteachable. Always come to church going, Lord, fill my cup up. Give me something today. Open your Bible Monday, Tuesday, and ask the Lord to show you something from his word. And when I look at this man who was a separated servant, I think about how he was living. He was a saved man. He was growing in the Lord. He was living the right kind of life. This, honestly, I believe is the kind of person that the Lord is looking to use. If you're saved today and you're growing in the Lord, you're living the right kind of life, God wants to use you. God was going to use Ananias. Why? Because he had separated himself from the evil of the day. He had made sure that his life was going to be used by God, that God would get the glory out of his life. And what does the Bible say to us? It says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. God is a holy God. and We need to make sure that we are a holy people. See, I see that he was separated in how he was living, but I also see that he was separated in how he was listening. Because look back in verse number 10, what the Bible says. There was a certain disciple at, at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here. And notice he was listening. Folks, do you listen for God to speak to you? I'm not talking about an audible voice, but I really believe that God still speaks. I really believe that God communicates with us. There have been many times in my life, even this past week, where God has shown me, God has given me a direction in my life. God has spoken to me about something, laid something on my heart. And the Bible says here that he was separated unto the Lord. He was listening for the voice of God. And when he heard the word of the Lord, what did he do? He responded to it. Have you ever like the child that, that you hear your mom and dad and it goes in this ear and it comes out this one? Listen, it's one thing. The Bible says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. God says, don't, don't just hear, respond. And the Bible says that he was listening and he heard the Lord giving him direction, giving him the next steps in his life that he would to take in his life. And can I just say from this verse, verse number 10, that the right place for any servant of God to be is here. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Look at verse 10 again. And he said, Behold, I am here. Do you know that here is better than there? Because you know why he said, I am here? Because the Lord was there. Lord was there when 
God says, look, Ananias. And he said, Lord, I am here. I'm available. I'm present. And I'm accountable to you, Lord. So many Christians today have become spiritually AWOL. They're nowhere to be found. We have to be listening for the Lord. See, this was a man that was a separated servant. He was separated in how he was living. He was separated in how he was listening to the Lord. But notice he was also separated in how he was leaning. Now see, in our lives, here's what's going to happen. We're either going to lean in one direction or we're going to lean in the other. Can I just tell you the best thing to do as a Christian is always be leaning toward the Lord than to be leaning away from the Lord? Sometimes people wonder, Pastor, why do you do this and why do you do that? Listen, I learned a long time ago that in our lives as a Christian, we should always take the high road. And this was a man that was leaning towards the Lord. He responded. Look at the end of chapter 10 again, or chapter, chapter verse again. Uh, chapter 10, verse number 10. Excuse me, chapter 9, verse number 10. Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here. What's the last word? Lord. Notice how he responds. He calls Jesus Lord. Now, if you're saved today, guess what? He is your Lord and Savior. And whatever the Lord asks of us, do you think it's right and reasonable that if the Lord asks us to do something, we should do it? I would say so. And Ananias says, behold, Lord, I am here. What is he saying? Present and accounted for, sir. What can I do for you? What would you like me to do? That's what he is saying here. He was leaning towards the Lord. Yet so many people today, they claim Jesus as Savior. But then on the other hand, what they want to do is they want to run their lives their way. Do what they want. Look at this verse in Acts chapter 10. The Bible says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Notice this statement. He is Lord. What's the rest of that say? Of all. You see, look, it doesn't matter who you are this morning. He is the Lord of your life. And we find that Ananias was a man that understood that he, the Lord was important in his life. And he wanted his life to count for the glory of God. Ananias, I really believe, was the kind of man that God was looking for, God was wanting to use. He was a man that was separated unto the Lord. He was a man that was surrendered to the Lord. He was a man that was sold out for the Lord. That's the way we need to be in our lives. We need to be that separated servant. But notice that, like many of us, even though he was separated unto the Lord, he was living for the Lord. He was listening for the Lord. He was even leaning to the Lord. Notice he also was the skeptical servant. Now, again, I'm not going to fault Ananias because I find other people in the Bible. Remember Thomas? Thomas, oh, Thomas, you missed it. Jesus was here. Thomas says, eh, except I see his hands and his side. Remember Mary, and when Mary was told that by the angels she was going to have a child, and remember how she said, well, how can this be? 
I've never been with a man. See, Ananias isn't the only one. And by the way, there's probably been times in your life, just like there have been in mine, where I've been a little bit skeptical. Sometimes things don't make sense. And Ananias was spending this time, the Lord was speaking to him. And how does God begin that? Well, he begins it by giving him a command. And I want you to see it with me this morning in verse number 11. The Lord said unto him, by the way, this remember, this was after he said, I am here. Okay, so now that God has his attention, he says here in verse number 11, arise and go into the street, which is called straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And as seen in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. <laughs> God's saying to Ananias, look, I have a special job for you. I have a special mission. By the way, anything you do for the Lord is special. I'd rather be a, a, a doorkeeper in the house of God, right? Anything we can do for the Lord. We have people that change the sayings on the sign. We have people that mow the grass. We have people that mop the floors. Listen, anything we do for the Lord is special. But God was saying to Ananias, I've got a special mission for you. God says, I want to use you to make a, a call, kind of a soul winning call. Uh, truth was, is that it wasn't about seeing somebody saved. It was about going to visit a man that was newly saved. God says, I want you to go visit this man. I want you to go reach out to this individual. And the interesting thing is God told Ananias, he says, by the way, he says, when you go to meet this man, he says, I've already given him your name. He says, he's waiting for you. I told him that a man by the name of Ananias is going to come and lay his hands on you and you're going to receive your sight. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That God trusted Ananias to do what God asked him to do before he ever left to go see Saul. But that's what the Bible tells us. Ananias was asked, he was commanded to go to Saul. Now, I guarantee you this command probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to Ananias because remember, Ananias says, I've heard of this man. I mean, I've heard of all the evil that he's done. I mean, this man has been persecuting and killing Christians. And yet God asked him to go meet this man, go put his hands on him. God wanted him to maybe even spend some alone time with this man that was a murderer, murderer of Christians. You ever found in your life that sometimes when God asks you to do something, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense? <laughs> maybe that hasn't happened to you. Sometimes it happens to me. My wife and I, we thought we were going to spend the rest of our lives in California. God put us in a great ministry. My pastor doing a tremendous work there, 35 years. And then all of a sudden, God says, it's time to go. That's happened so many times in my life. And when it happens, it doesn't make any sense. You know, we're trying to figure it out. It's much like when you look in the Bible, there are commands that, oftentimes don't make any sense. For instance, remember when God came to Noah 
And God told him to build a, a, a big boat, an ark. Remember where he built that boat? On dry land. I mean, all the mocking. Hey, there's no water around here. What are you building a boat for? And yet, it didn't make any sense, but that's what God commanded him to do. Think about Moses. Moses was out in the wilderness, and children of Israel, they were, they were well, if you ask them, they were dying because they didn't have anything to drink. And so what does God say? God tells Moses to take his rod and smite the rock to get water out of it. You ever try that one? I've yet to get water out of a rock. But it didn't make any sense, did it? You think about how in the Bible that God commanded his people through Joshua to march around the walls of the city of Jericho. This week I was spending some time and I was even sharing with my wife, I was thinking about going around the, the, the city, the walls of the city of Jericho. And the Bible records that they marched around those walls six days in a row. So how many times is that? Six times, right? You guys good at math? Six times, right? Now, the Bible then says that on the seventh day, see, a lot of times people think they marched around the walls of the city of Jericho seven times. But the Bible records that on the seventh day, they were asked of God to march around the walls of the city of Jericho seven times. So I'm not great at math, but seven on the seventh day and six, one of the six days before that, that's 13 times. Now think about that. The first day, okay, God says march around the walls. Day two, let's do it again. Day three, four, five, are you serious? And then on the seventh day, I got kind of curious. I, I guess that's the way my mind works. I started, and I started doing some reading, and there was a man that had done quite a bit of archaeology. They found sections of the walls of Jericho, which, by the way, they, they did fall down, like the Bible says. And uh, they estimate that, that these, the size of the city... I thought to myself, how long would it take them to walk around the city? Now remember, as they were walking, walking around, there were priests carrying the ark. They were probably not moving real fast. The the man actually said, which makes sense to me, that these cities were heavily fortified. They had walls, of course, around the cities, and then they would put sentries or guards on the walls and Many times, one of the things that they would do is if they saw somebody approaching the city, they had bows and arrows. So they estimate that if they were there to march around the walls of the city, they were probably going to keep a safe distance so that if somebody shot an arrow at them, they would not kill them. So he estimated however many feet or yards away from the walls of the city. And then he, he figured out that it would take about an hour to walk around the walls of the city. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so six days in a row for an hour, hour a day. So now you got six hours in, and on the seventh day, God says, all right, now I want you to go around the city seven times. Well, it's an hour around. That's seven hours. That's a whole day. In the heat. 
carrying the ark. You had to think to yourself, this didn't make a whole lot of sense. What is walking around the walls of a city going to do to help them to defeat this city? See, many times the commands of God don't make sense to us. But listen, whether they make sense to us or not, God's commands are always right. They're always right. See, what we try to do is we try to make sense out of them. And God says, I just want you to do what I ask you to do. That's why the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. Many times we think about what we've done for the Lord. God says, look, more than what you do for me, I just want you to obey me. And so Ananias, what was he? He was skeptical. God gave him the command that he wanted him to go to Saul. But notice the command came with a concern, just like a lot of us. Look at verse number 13. Then Ananias answered. This is after God said, I want you to go to this man, this murderer of Christians, and I want you to put your hands on him. The Bible says in verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. Now, can you just see this conversation? Ananias, watch this, is trying to tell God, God knows everything. It's like a child trying to tell their parents something. And Ananias is like, Lord, haven't you heard how wicked this guy is? What he's been doing to Christians? And the Lord's looking at Ananias thinking, seriously, Ananias? I, I already knew that. I knew that before I asked you to go. See, God knows the end from the beginning. And even though the command came, there was some concern. Now look, again, a lot of us would have probably been like him. We would have tried to reason our way out of it. And, and honestly, probably what was driving Ananias was he had an awesome fear of Saul. And rightfully so. You know, fear many times paralyzes us. I mean, look, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but think about this last year, and we're still kind of messing with what's going on in the world. So many times God's people are asked to do something by God, but because of fear, they don't do it. And so here he is. He's got this concern. You know, after all that Saul had done to the church. Remember, again, church is not a building. After all that he's done, why should I go? I'll tell you why. Because God said so. You ever do that as a parent? Your kid asks you something and you just say, because I said so. That's the way it is with God. Whatever God says, that's what we should do. And so there are times where God will ask us. Maybe he hasn't in your life yet, but he certainly has in mind. God will ask you to do something that, to be honest with you, you don't want to do it. But the best thing to do is to do what he asked of you. See, the command came, and even though he didn't understand it, he voiced his concern. But notice the consolation that he received in verse number 15. 
the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Aren't you glad that God is patient with us? Yeah, that's, that's what I see with Ananias. God was totally patient with him. The Lord heard, he listened to the complaint of Ananias, uh, Ananias, and then once he listened to his complaint, God begins to address that complaint, and, and, and he, he says, look, I, I want you to know, Ananias, that this man is a chosen vessel. I have a purpose for his life, and I'm trying to give you an opportunity to participate, to be a part of that. Hey, listen, that's the wonderful thing is when we obey God, even though we don't understand it, God can use us to accomplish his work in people's lives if we would just be willing to do whatever it is. Now, sometimes it may be something unpleasant. It may be even something difficult, something that we don't want to do. And, and can I tell you this? Many times, if not every time, God doesn't always tell us up front what's going to happen. But look, down the road, sometimes we understand it in the by and by. Years ago when my wife and I, we were, we were getting serious and we've been around each other for a couple years and I've told part of the story before, but I remember that I, I, we were talking and I said something to her about, you know, I'm, I want to ask your dad if I can marry you. And by the way, I still think that's the right thing to do. I know I'm old fashioned, but I think a young man ought to still ask. The, the, the parents of the, of the woman, and, and so I went to him, and, or maybe we did, and, and I asked my father-in-law to be, I said, I said look, you, you know, I love your daughter, I said, I'd like to get married, and I'd like your blessing, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, I'll let you know in three days. I said, you mean it's going to take you three days to figure out if I can marry your daughter? And he said, I'll let you know in three days. And so three days went by, and he never gave an answer. We went back to him, and <clears throat> he said, I'll let you marry my daughter on one condition. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It didn't really matter what it was. I wanted to marry her, but I was hoping it wasn't going to be a lot of money because I didn't have any of that. <clears throat> and he said, I'll let you marry her on one condition, and that one condition is that you wait a year. And I thought, well, that's strange. But then I remember we had talked, and I think we must have been feeling overly confident, and we had kind of tentatively set a date that I think was about 14 months. And he, sa he said, okay, he said, if you wait till then, you can marry my daughter. Now, I didn't really understand it. I didn't get that. You know, I mean, it was a father's prerogative of his daughter. Well, then I began to think about and it took me a while because I'm a little slow. But as time went on, it became very clear to me that I had recently trusted Christ as my Savior. And a lot of times people say they're saved, but they're really not. People play a game. They act like they're a Christian. You know, you can dress a part. You can look the part. But what God's interested in is the heart. And what I came to realize was her dad, because you can't see if somebody's saved because it takes place in the heart of a person. 
But over the course of time, you can watch their life and there ought to be some fruit, some evidence that a person is saved. And that's what he was doing. He wanted to watch my life. You know what? I didn't necessarily respect it whenever he made that decision, but I became a great respecter of that decision after I understood it. You know what he was doing? He wanted to make sure that his daughter, who was a Christian, didn't marry an unbeliever. And I thought, that's pretty good. I'm going to use that if God ever gives me kids. And I've used that on all four of my children. God's given me some wonderful son-in-laws who are all Christians. But I think about how Ananias was asked to go to Saul. Now remember, Ananias says, Lord, I've heard about all this stuff. I, I would say that anybody would have a hard time believing that Saul had gotten saved. I mean, you ever, you ever see somebody and you almost think to yourself, that person, I don't know if that person can ever get saved. They're so evil. They're so wicked. Some of you, don't be thinking about a person right now. You're in church, all right? But you know God can save to the uttermost? If, if God can save a Saul, God can save whoever you're thinking about. But Ananias was thinking to himself, Lord, what if he's just saying he's saved? And then he wants to infiltrate us, find out who we are, and then arrest us and put us to, put us to death. See, all of that was in Ananias's mind as he was thinking about this situation. And, and I think about how, again, he didn't know all that up front, but yet the Lord helped him to understand looking back what this event would really mean. That God would get the glory out of Saul's life and he would do it by using Ananias. And we like Ananias, I think sometimes what we do is we forget that God knows a whole lot more than we ever will know. So here's this man realizing that God is the one that's planning his path. And you know what our duty is as God plans and directs our step? Is to just follow his lead. And so yes, he was separated to the Lord. He was a separated servant. And he was skeptical about what God was asking him to do. But I love the fact that he also was the submissive servant. Look what it says in verse 17. Look at these first five words. And Ananias went his way. See, I find here his response was he got busy doing what God called him to do. See, when the Lord speaks to us, don't wait around. Don't deliberate. Just do what God asks you to do. And the Bible says he went his way. He was obedient. He got to the task immediately. And we need to learn to respond, just like Ananias, to do it immediately, to do it in humble obedience. We need to make sure that we respond in faith. Notice we see in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We don't always have to see it. We don't always have to understand it. We need to have the response of faith. But we also need to have the response of love. Look at John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep 
my commandments. You know what Jesus is saying? If you really do love me the way you, you say you do, then just do what I ask you to do. Keep my commandments. That's the response of love. But notice also the response of blessing. The Bible says in John 14, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You want to be blessed by God? God says, whatever I ask you to do, do it, and I'll bless you. See, I find his submission allowed him to respond. Notice also his reaction. And back in verse 17, look at it. Ananias went his way, and what did he do? He entered into the house. And putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, he says, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Look at his, his reaction here. What does he do? He goes to Saul. The Bible says he touched him. He, listen, he did something for Saul that maybe somebody had not done for a very, very, very long time. Think about this man, Saul, how wicked he was. Saul probably didn't have any friends. There were probably very few people that ever got close to Saul because of the kind of man he was. And then all of a sudden, in his blindness, someone reaches out and puts a warm hand, a touch on him. You can only imagine what that did for Saul. God sent him to this man, and the first word that Saul heard, because he didn't have his sight as, as of this moment, the first word that he hears is, brother Saul. Now, people that come to our church and visit, sometimes I think to myself, I wonder what they really think when they hear people walking around going, hey, brother, hey, brother. You know, they, they see people from different, different backgrounds, different different ethnical groups, maybe different color skin, maybe different accent, and they hear us calling each other brother, and they're thinking, wow, this is a big family. These people look so different, but yet they're calling each other brother. I've been in churches before where they even call the women sisters. Sister this, sister that. And the first words that, that Saul hears is brother. It was a term of endearment, a term of affection. How, how he reaches out to him, he touches him, he calls him brother. And Saul, look, no doubt, Saul probably had no idea what the future held for him. For him. He was a Jew, and, and look, now that he was saved, he thought to himself, well, the Jews are going to hate me. Because now I'm one of the followers of Jesus. And then he probably thought, well, the church is going to hate me because I've been persecuting it. You know what that, I, I really feel like, and there's a lot of people like this today, they don't really feel like they fit in anywhere. And that's the way Saul was. You know, he no longer felt like he fit in with the Jews, and that's correct. But he didn't know if he would fit in with the Christians because of how he had been treating them. And Ananias reaches out, he touches him, 
He embraced him as a brother in Christ. What an encouragement that must have been to Saul. Do you know that God could use you? He could use me to encourage someone that doesn't fit in, that doesn't know if anyone cares. You see, Ananias was given the privilege by God to encourage Saul. Now, he could have been bitter, like a lot of people are, even Christians sometimes. He could have refused to go. Or he could have just said, okay, I'll go out of, out of just because I'm asked to go, but I'm going to maybe grudgingly go. I'm going to half-hearted go to Saul. He could have done that, but he didn't. The Bible says he actually went in the spirit of God as he goes to this man. He made a difference in his life, and I think that's what being a disciple is. It means to make a difference in people's lives. It's about God using us to help other people. And I, I thought to myself as I spent some time this week thinking about Ananias, I wonder if I would do what Ananias was asked to do. See, I see his response. His response was to obey God. I see his reaction. And his reaction was that he embraced this man as a brother in Christ. But then I also see his reward. How that because he obeyed, listen to me, because he obeyed, God blessed. Look, look at verse 18. And immediately, not down the road, not a couple days later, not even a couple minutes later, when he did what God asked him to do, did, are you listening, Christian? When he did what God asked him to do, the Bible says immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Saul was filled with the Spirit of God. God used him. If you go on to study, hey, listen, 13 books in the New Testament of the Bible were written by this man who was a murderer that God used in a great way. Many came to know Christ because of one man by the name of Ananias who reached out and put his hands on Saul and called him brother. He was serving God. I don't think Ananias really knew, this is my guess, I don't think he really knew in his lifetime what the full range effects of this one event would bring about. I think a lot of times in our lives, we don't know. We meet people day in and day out. We may never see them again. But someday, can you imagine, listen, one day we're going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. And I have to believe that Ananias is going to be recompensed by God for this one act of going and obeying God, putting his hands on Saul. I really believe that he's going to receive a great reward someday because he, he did what God asked him to do. And I think our acts of obedience, too, will accomplish so much more for the kingdom of God. I think about folks that, that I've, I've heard about, some in the Bible, some not. John Bunyan. John Bunyan's testimony was one day he overheard two women that were obediently talking about the faith that they had put in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And because of their faith in Christ, Bunyan was gloriously saved. Thinking back to some of those examples from the Bible I gave earlier, when Noah obeyed the Lord, what happened? The world was saved. 
When Moses obeyed the Lord, Israel was, went free. When Joshua obeyed the Lord and they marched around those walls time and again, what happened? The promised land eventually was conquered. When David obeyed God, you know what happened? Goliath fell. When Jesus obeyed the will of his Father, the Bible tells us that sin died and salvation became possible for all people. See, we never know what our obedience to the will of God will accomplish. That's why it's a wonderful thing to understand. To obey is better than sacrifice. When we look at the testimony of this man, Ananias, we don't know much about him. We do know his name means Yahweh has been gracious. And we see that's evident here how he just did what God asked him to do. You and I, too, need to perform acts of obedience. But watch this. Those acts of obedience need to be based on God's word. See, Ananias did what he did because God told him to do it. That's why it's important we get in the Bible and we understand this is what God has said. This is what God wants us to do. And we need to trust his voice. Listen, trust his voice more than your own. Because God will never lead us astray. If you're here today and you're not saved, would you trust the voice of God and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart, and be your Savior? The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe God can save today? We sang the song earlier, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We need to tell others how he can make a difference in our lives. And listen, because he makes a difference and we are saved, like Ananias, God wants to use your life to impact others. You think about, I think about this obedience of Ananias. You know what it did? It set up a meeting, this, this thought here, where God had a divine appointment for this one known as Saul of Tarsus. And the question this morning is this, will you be an Ananias for Jesus today? Oh, I get it. You might be reluctant. You might hesitate. Look, not everyone can be a Paul. But I really believe God wants everyone to be an Ananias. Will you serve the Lord? Because, listen, he deserves our worship and our service of him would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and i want you to be thinking about the message this morning i pray that you've been listening and i wonder this morning the question that you saw just a moment ago was are you saved you see the reason that ananias could hear the voice of god the reason that he was willing to obey the lord was because he was his lord are you saved today? Do you know Christ as your Savior? If you're at home today and you're listening, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. And if you're not saved, would you ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin? Listen, when it comes to salvation, the Bible says it's only through Jesus. If you think that you can save yourself, that's not of God, that's of man. And so if you need to be saved today, 
why don't you ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin and be your Savior. And if you are saved, how many of you would be willing to say to the Lord, here am I. I am here, Lord. What do you want me to do? And listen, don't just be a hearer. Would you be a doer? Would you stand to your feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? The piano's playing. We call this a time of invitation. God is inviting you to make a decision to come to Him. And the altar's open this morning. Would you come this morning if you need Christ? Would you come and receive eternal life through Jesus? And if you are saved, remember I said this earlier this morning, some people have been hurt. Some people used to have served God. Maybe you are serving God and God wants you to serve Him in a greater way today. Whatever it is this morning, the altar's open. Would you come? Would you come now and spend some time with the Lord? I surrender all, the song, all to Jesus. Will you be an Ananias for Jesus today? See, somewhere out there, there may be a Saul waiting for you to come. How exciting it is that God wants to use you and God wants to use me to encourage them. Right there where you're at, ask the Lord to help you to encourage someone this week. Serve God with your life. Lord, thank you for this morning. I pray that you'd bless your word, Lord, because your word makes a difference in our lives. It's quick and powerful. Lord, help us because you, your word is in us. Lord, to do what you've asked of us what you command us to do. And even though we may be skeptical, Lord, help us by your Spirit to understand. And even when we don't, help us to be obedient. And God, we look forward to someday seeing you roll back the curtain and that we can see what our obedience has brought about. Thank you for Ananias, for the life that he lived even though we don't know much about him. God, he was used to make an impact on the life of the man who was Saul that became the great Apostle Paul. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.